The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. All right, Carl, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour of the tech-led takeoff for stocks. The NASDAQ rallies to another new record high, and the $3 trillion club gets a new member. We'll debate all of it with the Investment Committee. Joining me for the hour right here at Post 9, the Investment Committee, Stephanie Link, Joe Terranova, Kerry Firestone, Rob Seachin. Check the markets. We're green across the board. The NASDAQ is the outperformer today. We will talk about Microsoft hitting $3 trillion. That's a big deal, but so is... Stephanie Link's moves yet again, <laughs> stealing the thunder today like you did on Friday yes. when you sold out of Meta, you bought more Amazon, and today you have bought even more Amazon. Yeah. Why? Because I like Why it. Why loading up on this? <laughs> I like it a lot. Um, it's trading at 13 times EBITDA. And historically, it's traded at over 20 times EBITDA. There's three ways to win, as you know. AWS should see a reacceleration from the 12% growth we saw last quarter to something like 15, 16%, maybe even higher in the second half of the year, we'll have to see. Retail margins are on the rise, and I think there's more that they can do, especially as their costs come down. Uh, and I think the consumer is on fire. Look at, on, look at retail sales last week, 9.4% was online. So I think that they're clearly continuing to see momentum, and of course, ad revenues. Ad revenues were really weak last year. I think that's going to actually pick up this year, probably for the whole sector, uh, the whole FANG complex, of course. But I think that uh, it's underappreciated at Amazon. And again, the valuation sort of makes sense to me. Carrie, you own it. Uh, yeah. Reports next week, um, obviously. It was named a top pick into that print by Morgan Stanley today. And People have been getting in line on that one uh, seemingly almost every day, bumping yeah. the price target up or reiterating their love for it. Yeah, I think among the Magnificent Seven, it might be the most attractive one. We own it. We're overweighted. Um, it was a great stock last year, but I think it could be a great stock this year. And the cloud business, we're going to hear about three big companies that own the cloud. Amazon, Microsoft, Google. And I think the numbers are going to be better. They had a tough time last year, and this is an acceleration. We're going to find out whether AI is now producing revenue because of the need for more cloud storage. And the e-commerce numbers are good. Uh, they've been cutting costs in certain parts of the company where they think that they were overstaffed and overspending. So the numbers could be better than expected. And as Steph pointed out, it, it's at the lowest valuation that it's it's been in, you know decade. Getting a nice move here uh, as, as we discuss. Uh, what I really want to know uh, from both Rob and Joe, Rob, I'll start with you first, is, is why no Amazon for, <laughs> for you? It's, you have Alphabet, Meta, Apple, Microsoft. It's like kind of everything, but why? 
Let's talk about that. We, we owned it for a long time. We thought that they pulled forward an enormity of demand uh, after, after the COVID uh, pandemic. And so we jettisoned that. They did have a tougher year post that. Um, we decided to place our bets in other areas. We are in all those other spots. I would note that Microsoft and Apple are neutral positions for us, um, big being neutral, yeah. right? But no. neutral positions for us, where we're overweight is in Meta and Google. And the reasons that we're overweight Meta and Google is the refocus on the core business and an acceleration in earnings. And fundamentally, these are the cheapest ways to get your exposure to that. So we're very confident that concentrating our overweight bets there is gonna make sense. The other thing that I would say is we talked about lightening up on tech because of positioning sizing coming into the year. Scott, you've asked me a couple times, when is that gonna happen? We have a mindset of letting our winners ride right now, but at some point, and you saw it in Home Builders yesterday, when the stocks break down after an earnings, a good earnings report, that is when you wanna pivot away, and we're not there yet. Yeah. So, Joe, again, um, you know, you've loaded back up on, on mega caps that we mentioned yesterday that Joe T was at a 52-week high yesterday. I presume, given what's happening with the NASDAQ today, it's probably doing that yet again today. But for you as well, no Amazon. I want to know why. Well, the way that Stephanie describes this Amazon company, it sounds like it's, it's fundamentally a really strong company. And if I look at the chart, the momentum looks great. So next Wednesday, we'll be rebalancing oh. the Joe T ETF. We'll see what the okay. rules are applied. and see how Amazon looks. Okay, so I, I understand that you're obviously limited in what you can say, and you know maybe we'll read between the lines if we have to. But Steph, do you feel as though <laughs> yeah. um, it's like Bezos put a royal flush on the table when he left, mm -hmm. and it's taken Jassy some time to you know figure out what the next moves are gonna be uh, to, in some respects, right-size the company, right? It was fairly bloated, right? Um, wondering about where cloud growth is gonna be relative to the competitors like Azure and Microsoft and some of the other players in that space too. Uh, has he completed that job, do you think, Jassy? I think he's made huge progress. I think there's more that they can do, though, especially on the cost side of things um, and the, the fulfillment centers and the build out that they did during COVID. That's, that spend is actually now going to be done. And so that's why you have that operating leverage and that margin expansion on the retail side. They told us in terms last quarter on cloud, AWS, they signed a whole bunch of new customers in uh, after the quarter closed. So that's why I think you're going to see an acceleration uh, may not be this quarter quarter coming up, uh, but it's going to happen sometime this year. And it's uh, also just the law of large numbers. They're still growing at enormous levels. And we know that cloud is a trillion dollar total addressable market. So I want to be there. And um, and so, no, I don't think that it's all complete, not with a multiple where it is. Yeah. Some were wondering, I think, you know, when Bezos left, if that was sort of the moment where it's like the best days were behind it. Because, right. you know, as I said, he, he, he lays the royal flush, he leaves, and then the next few hands that are dealt, you know, Jassy's like, what am I going to do with this. He has a big job to kind of turn the, the yeah. ship around, but it's clear that you think it's in the right direction. There's the stock. It's uh, looks like at the highs of the day here as we find out Stephanie Link has bought more. But the other big story today, as I mentioned at the outset, Microsoft, $3 trillion in market cap. 40365 was the number to beat. Let's take a look at the stock there because it's above it now. So you got two now in the 3T club. Steve Kovac joins us now. I want to know, Steve, from you, um, the road to $3 trillion. Yeah. How they do it. 
Yeah, and let's talk. And it's not just over the last 14 months, uh, Scott, but it really did start in the public consciousness uh, about 14 months ago. That was, of course, uh, the launch of ChatGPT that blew everyone away in the fall of 2022. And then February of last year, Microsoft incorporated that ChatGPT into its own products, starting with Bing. Now, that one didn't exactly live up to the hype at the time. Microsoft kind of implied it would help Bing win market share against Google and other search engines and grow ad revenue by about a billion dollars for every point in that market share gained against Google. That clearly did not happen. But here's what did happen, Scott. Copilot and Azure Cloud growth boosted by all that activity on OpenAI, which is, of course, hosted on Microsoft's cloud. And Microsoft started selling Copilot Assistant to businesses last fall. And today, just about anyone can buy it. It's open to consumers. It's open to small businesses. It's open to individuals. And we learned last quarter all that activity on OpenAI really helped accelerate or re-accelerate, rather, Azure cloud growth since all of that stuff is hosted by Microsoft. And guys, that's what's to watch next week when Microsoft reports earnings. Is Copilot selling well and living up to the hype that Microsoft has promoted? And can Azure uh, growth keep up that momentum thanks to all that AI activity happening on Microsoft's cloud? It's not just OpenAI, by the way. There's some stuff going on with Facebook and AMD and other companies as well. But look, this all goes further than uh, back further than a year. Satya Nadella, CEO of Microsoft, for nearly a decade now, and he laid the groundwork for where Microsoft is today, building out cloud capabilities that made AI possible. Let me give you a little anecdote about Nadella. I met him about nine months into his run as CEO, and he was already at that time hyping up AI. He told me a story about how they're working on real-time translation and how all the machine learning capabilities that they have. So this has been a very long time coming for Microsoft, and now we're seeing the benefits really play out, taking over Apple as the most valuable company in the world, Scott. Yeah, our shareholders are certainly on this desk today are reaping the rewards of that. Steve, that was great. Thank you so Thanks. much, Steve Kovac there. So that is why, Rob, everything that Kovac just said justifies to many why the valuation deserves to be where it is. He laid it out how they're monetizing. This isn't a pipe dream. This isn't a deep look into the future. Hey, one day we're going to monetize AI. They're already doing it, both through enterprise and from regular consumer customers. And it is the single largest position at New Edge across all our portfolios, although it's a neutral, kind of remarkable, but it, but it is. And what I would say is, yes, it's expensive, um, and it's all about the earnings. And what portion of those earnings can you directly tie to AI? This is a company that's executing phenomenally well, and they're clearly a huge AI beneficiary. There's no way you can't own it. The question is, how do you own it relative to the portfolio sizing? And, you know, that's what we're thinking about. The momentum's clearly to the positive at 31 times. It could have traded, it traded at 35 in the, pre, in the COVID bubble, right? We can get there. There's no question we can get there. And that's why we're kind of staying the course at current weight. The other question, Kerry, is, is how high can it go, right? Top's 400, now it's at 404 and a half. But today it was reiterated by its city, 470 is the price target there. That's up from 432. They're like, well, I mean, it's on the way to 432. We might as well bump it up to 470. <laughs> Quote, ramping Gen AI should keep growth accelerating. Yeah, it could go to 500. I mean, this isn't a stock that has to stop because it hit a certain price. It's not just uh, a great company with an enormous balance sheet and an incredible presence in the major markets that people care about right now, which is everything that's cloud, AI, and 
software, but it's a company that you can count on. And in, and in this sort of market, investors are looking to put their money where they're comfortable, where they feel as if we're in the growth part of the world. And that includes Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, Meta. I mean, this is what the these magnificent companies are about. It's not really about their valuation. It's about how investors have chosen to focus their attention on a smaller number of companies, uh, and that's where the buying goes. We just care less, as investors generally, about the rest of the market, and so does everybody yeah. else, seemingly. So uh, let me just note as well, as we're having this conversation, the S&P is above 4,900, mm. yeah. carried in large part by this move in Microsoft, in Netflix, in Apple. You take a look at Apple, Joe, because the other 3T <clears throat> company, which Apple still is above, has been on the march again. Reiterated today, overweight at Morgan Stanley. So I throw it to you. You, you flagged this move yesterday in Microsoft, mm -hmm. and now Apple's been on the move, and the mega caps are dominating the conversation yet again. Well, here we are, January 24th, and I think everyone's finally coming around to the premise uh, that the mega caps are not going away in any regard. Look at S&P growth year to date. S&P growth is up 5%. S&P values actually down on the year. S&P equal weighted, down on the year. So there still is a degree of skepticism. I think everyone on the desk would agree. There's skepticism surrounding the rally so far year to date and its potential to continue throughout uh, 2024. And I think it's really important to address that skepticism and directly identify that there's a template in place. A template in place when you have two conditions. Number one, a Federal Reserve that is no longer adversarial. I think everyone would agree they are no longer adversarial. And then beyond that, innovation from technology. The innovation from technology is real, and all you need to do is go back to the 94, 95, 96 cycle, okay? It correlates so incredibly well with 22, 23, and 24. 94, midterm election year, Federal Reserve begins to raise rates seven times 300 basis points. 95, what do they do? They back off, they begin to cut rates, they cut rates three times, the market's up 30%. What happens in 96, a presidential election? year. Does that automatically the technology innovation go away? No. That year, the S&P 500 is up another 20% because the innovation is there. It's real. And it correlates to the environment of now. Sure. And investors are paying for the growth from the innovation. Right. But we all know how, how that all ended, right? When, <laughs> the, when, the, when the music stopped, if not the record scratched. So that is not, in my, in my opinion, that does not mean today that you look forward and say, okay, in March of 2000, the market fell apart. You look at that and you say to yourself, okay, I'm not going to be investing. I'm going to remain skeptical on the market. If you're sitting in that cash yielding equivalent, you have reinvestment risk beyond what you could have possibly imagined. And you need to engage in the market once again. Not because you're thinking about, well, in March of 2000, four years potentially away from 96, by the way, you're going to see the market reverse and go lower. We're going to have a correction at some point this year, and I think it's going to be greeted with demand underneath the market because the technological innovation is real. It's not a hypothetical. You know what the other point to make, too, is, is as these other mega caps have ramped, um, the market has been able to get beyond Tesla, which has been a disappointment. It's down double-digit percentage points, 15, 16 percent over the last month. It's going to report in overtime tonight. Uh, dare I say, it's like 
less riding on, on this report for the overall market than you would otherwise maybe say for the NASDAQ 100 because the slack is getting pulled up by all these other big names. Yeah, like Netflix. Netflix. Right, like well, Netflix. Because, and Apple and Microsoft are yeah. both 7% of the S&P 500, yeah. Netflix. And Netflix is, is, is smaller, much, much smaller, yeah, and that's helping today for it, sure. But, but the Tesla's market also much more sort of. Yeah, my, 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 my point being, some of these other names are much bigger influences on the S&P because yeah. they're much bigger weights. Uh, to Rob's point, right, you can't be overweight. What, are you going to be put 10% in your portfolio in Microsoft? I mean, mm. that's just not, in my opinion, not that responsible. You have to yeah, be more diversified. Why isn't anybody interested in owning Tesla? up here. Why not? I want to hear from the crowd. Well, I, I think that all of us are probably interested and we're no, probably I'm not, no. I'm not, no, not, no, at, not no. at any price, not at any price. No, no I, I think we would be. Valuation, it's a cult stock. Um, I think management, obviously he's brilliant, but it's kind of volatile, if you want to say. I also think there's competition coming, and I know the competition well, has kind of gone by here. the wayside. Yes. I know that, but I don't think it's gone away completely. And I think as these companies, these traditional companies, get more sophisticated in the technology and in the innovation, and I think they are going to eventually catch up with Tesla. At the end of October, it was liquidated from the ETF. Uh, the reason was twofold. Number yeah, I knew you had it in the was, Joe T. It was a breakdown in momentum, but the revenue growth, yeah. it, it, the revenue growth just imploded. And, and margins. The, right. And, and it just just hasn't come back. So, you know, it's not just that you saw uh, technical deterioration. You saw fundamental deterioration in the business that was real. And it appears as though um, it's it's something a little bit more than cyclical in its nature. Well, there could be a strike <laughs> as an example. I mean, that's something that could happen in this company. I pose this question. I could see the sweat beads building on your brow. Is that right? <laughs> I don't know. It's a valuation. It trades at 63 times. It's just not really what we do. Yeah. You don't have any, you know, higher, you have got to have some higher higher valuation 30s, names. 30s, low 30s. That's about as high as, as you'll go? Well, listen, I think we're in a market where you're being rewarded for durability of earnings and how you're pricing those earnings. I think you expose yourself tremendously if you buy these really high valuation stocks and anything breaks down, they're going to re-rate very quickly. And we've seen that in Tesla in a number of, in a number of cases. So it's just not something we would own. Yeah, how about Netflix? We made it our chart of the day today. You know, yes, there's the Steph move at the top. and. Yes, there's Microsoft hitting $3 trillion in market cap, but this NASDAQ today was coiled because of what Netflix delivered yesterday with this massive beat on a subscriber uh, standard, 3.1 million versus 8.8, 8.9. And that's why the stock is shot higher by 12.5%. Uh, Brian Belsky joins us on the phone now because he owns the stock. What do you make of this, B? I think it's amazing. Thanks so much for having us. I mean, we, were, we own it in four different portfolios. Remember, last year, actually mid-year of 2022, we actually added it to our value portfolio and ran it up 200% just because people sold it off so much. But we've long said that uh, the three C's of, of communication services, cash, content, and consolidation, Netflix is going to win because they've got the content and they're the Kleenex of streaming, period drop the mic. They're the best company, the best cash flow, best best content. And I think that's just going to continue. And I think this broader theme of earnings consistency, Rob talked about it. This is really, really, really important going forward because Joe talked about 94, 95, 96. The only thing that he got wrong was the 94, 95, 96 rally had nothing to do with technology, had everything to do with 
Procter & Gamble, Coca-Cola, GE, and Greenspan's speech in 1997 with respect to irrational exuberance wasn't about the tech stocks. It was about high multiple big cap names. That's the correlation now. Everyone's doubting this big move. The key thing going forward, I think, for the next six months is you're going to start hearing more and more, more about when growth is scarce, growth outperforms. It's not going to be about just buying the Magnificent Seven. It's going to be about buying companies with discernible earnings. And, oh, by the way, Netflix has them. Yeah. What do you what do you think about this foray into live sports with the WWE and whether you think this is the next frontier for this company? Oh, it is. It is big time. I mean, our analyst, Brian Pitts, just raised the target to $638 today. I mean, you saw with your own company, Scott, you and I have talked about it offline with respect to the streaming that we saw during the NFL playoffs. Americans love their sports. This is the real, real deal. And I would venture to guess there's going to be other companies they're going to go big into the streaming side of sport. Yeah. By the way, um, the NFL game on Peacock was the single biggest subscriber acquisition moment ever measured by a company called Antenna. So your point is well taken. You have good programming and people are going to pay for it. You just but have that's to have just, consistently that's good the programming. challenge, Scott, there from, from my lens with a name like this or any of these names. They're very capital intensive and you can have misses you know, with the programming. And so I'd like to know how Brian and anybody that owns these names get around that. Yeah, that's that. yeah Brian? Well, yeah, so Rob, it's a great point, and that's why the three C's of the theme, cash, content, consolidation. We're, I think a year from now we're not going to have as many streaming companies. We're going to see massive consolidation because of the cost side of things. That's going to be key. Obviously, you know, like content's kind of like fashion. And, and you have to be able to be in that right next big move. But you're not, you're not going to have all your eggs in one basket But on the content side. But Netflix was super smart in terms of building, building that content library and had that cash and had the foresight to do that before anybody else. And I think that's going to be the key thing. You have to have a strategy, just like any other company, Rob, or just, uh, and everybody else on the committee. you got to have a strategy and a product and service and go through with it on a fundamental basis. And that's why Netflix is being rewarded. Yeah, Brian, I appreciate you calling in. We needed to hear from somebody who owned these shares today after the huge beat on subs and then that big subsequent move in the share price. By the way, I'll just shout out the home team again. Um, 2.8 million signups that NFL game got on Peacock. So it just once again shows you the power of, of what live sports can do and how that intersection with streaming can really be a big, a big, big deal. All right, let's look ahead to some more committee earnings because we talked about a lot. We've had a lot of stocks on the move. IBM, that's coming today, okay? Shares are at multi-year high into the print. I know. You nervous? You look a little nervous. No, I'm actually not that nervous because it Your really tone was, sounded a little nervous. It, it, well, because it, well, no, I'm not as nervous because it didn't do that well Nike last nervous? year. Not Nike nervous. Definitely, definitely not. Definitely, definitely not. Uh, the transition is definitely underway at the company for higher, faster growth and markets, AI, cloud, blockchain, quantum computing, um, and, and the Red Hat acquisition is just has been amazing. I think you're going to see a return to double-digit growth in Red Hat that had gotten to single-digit growth last couple of quarters. Quarters. Um, but the bookings, the billings are strong. Um, software and consulting is 70% of total revenues. That's recurring revenues. That's helpful to margins. I think they will reiterate the $10 billion free cash flow number uh, for this year. They better. Um, but I think at the same time, the stock and valuation is pretty good. I'm it's about 18, uh, it's about 18 times forward estimates. That's pretty reasonable to me. I'm going to give you the ball first, too, on Lamb. 
Lamb Research because they're after the belt today too. You've been talking about this one for a long time. I know, and, and it's had a really, it had a really nice run last year, up, up over 80 percent. But it's not really that expensive at about 25 times forward estimates. And if you think wafer fab equipment spend is going to recover, which I do, they will absolutely benefit because they're number one and number two in etch and data de deposition, the two highest categories within wafer fab equipment. Remember, wafer fab equipment fell 80 percent from their hives, and so we have started to see a rebound. Companies are starting to reiterate that, the, that we're seeing a bottoming. Uh, Lamb Research last two quarters actually raised the wafer fab equipment numbers for the full year. So it's encouraging. I like Micron's uh, results as well. Mm -hmm. So I like this one. Um, it's up a lot. So it's a little bit like I'm on the edge of my seat. But for the long term, I think that they're very well positioned. Okay. We're going to end this block with two more moves from you, Stephanie Link. However, give me something quick, Joe, on KLA because you have that and that's tomorrow. And I just want to hear from you quick on that. Very similar to Lamb Research, stock is at an all-time high. I think the expectations are extremely elevated. Um, this is a company, though, that has done a phenomenal job in managing their margins. You're talking about a gross margin of above 60%. Uh, that's the type of company that you ultimately want to own. So susceptible to a technical correction post-earnings? Absolutely, but I don't see the fundamental I, breakdown. I own both these, okay? And the, the upshoot on these, the recovery in chips is happening sooner than we thought. You have the reshoring and you have the investment in AI, and both those are driving you know, a recovery sooner, despite the fact that they're going to post double-digit revenue and earnings declines. But it's a case of why stocks are forward-looking, period. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now, as far away from tech as you can go <laughs> is how we're going to yeah. end, end this segment. Isn't that the truth? Okay. <laughs> uh, because you bought more General Electric, yeah. GE, which, which uh, had earnings yesterday. It was a beat. And you sold Parker Hannafin. Yeah. So we're talking industrials. But give me GE. Why did you buy more? because the quarter was great and the stock went down. And I like it ahead of the spin of the renewables and power business, which is going to happen in April. But that being said, you're going to have a pure play aerospace company that's trading at a discount to its peers, which I think is going to play catch up. Uh, and you'll have different analysts covering this stock going forward. And you're already starting to see it. So I think that organic growth in aerospace yesterday up 12 percent, margins expanding, free cash flow being better. That's all good stuff. And yet the stock went down. I understand why it was up 61 percent in the past year. I think there's a lot more to go in this story. OK. Uh, Contessa Brewer has a market flash for us. What are you I, watching? I sure do. Scott, DraftKings shares popping on a report from Sportico that the sportsbook is close to a deal with Barstool. Sources told Sportico it would likely be something more like a traditional marketing partnership with Barstool promoting DraftKings, not a total rebrand for the sportsbook a la Penn Gaming. Remember, Penn owned Barstool this time last year, sold it back to founder Dave Portnoy for a buck. Although Penn had paid more than half a billion dollars for it, it just wanted to move on to ESPN. Barstool had some restrictions. Those are over now. An insider for uh, gaming says, yeah, a, a marketing deal is sort of obvious and intuitive, but how much value is really there? You can see DraftKings now up uh, almost 4%. It hit a new 52-week high on that news, Scott. Uh, appreciate it, Contessa. Thank you for flagging that, Contessa Brewer. Coming up, more committee stocks are on the move. We have trades ahead on Freeport, on Intuitive Surgical, Thermo Fisher, and more. We're back after this. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. 
That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. Hi, I'm Ben Rizzuto, wealth strategist at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. We have a number of committee stocks on the move today. We want to do those, some related to earnings, some not so much. Freeport Mac Moran is up 5% on better than expected earnings. Joe T, you have this one first. And Steph, I do want to hear from you. But Joe, you take this first because you own it well. I think this is a very strong quarter, first of all. Um, in addition to that, you have the potential stimulus that's coming from, from China. Uh, this is a stock that is in the ETF. So, you know, I'm going to limit what I'm, what I'm able to say about it. But I would certainly say the momentum was in a, a clearly perilous position coming into this earnings report. Uh, now you could say that the momentum is is really uh, in, in a yellow light type of territory. Hey, tell me about that. That, that raises an interesting point, makes me curious about. So you, you come into an earnings report and you have this discipline and these rules that you have to do for the, uh, of where your bias is for the, for the ETF. Momentum's broken down, and then they have a report where the stock goes up 5% on the other side. Then do you start rethinking, well, maybe this is the restart of, of momentum that, you know, if I was thinking about potentially getting rid of a stock, mm-hmm. that maybe now I, I do a little double check on that. Yes, and you now observe uh, the subsequent days to see if you get follow through, because that will be important in determining what uh, is ultimately done. All right, so uh, we'll see where that goes. Uh, Steph, you own it too. Yeah, it's definitely a double whammy. It was good earnings, it was decent guidance, but it's also China. This stock trades totally on China, even though it should not, in my opinion. But I thought really overall the quarter was good. They beat on revenues, cash costs came down, production was better than expected on on the copper side. So at eight times EBITDA, I think it's, you know, with its stock down 9% in the past year, the expectations were quite low, but I do like the long-term story with copper. Kerry, Thermo Fisher, Today, downgraded to equal weight. It was at overweight over at Barclays. They do raise the price target to 555. I mean, their old one was 475. So, so do you get that? Hello. Sounds to me like an upgrade. Right. Um, <laughs> they do have valuation concerns, though. You don't? No, not really. I mean, this is this is a great company that has been through a very tough time post-COVID, following an incredible period where everybody was ordering tests and taking tests, and all they could do was churn out tests for billions of dollars of profits. Now you've got no testing, and China's weak. But the stock is up 25% since the end of October because people realized that it got too cheap. This is going to be a relatively flat year. The earnings this quarter, maybe they'll be up a little bit, but it's really a 25 story that we think earnings will be up 15 plus percent. And it's a great franchise of wonderful businesses. Top and bottom beat for Intuitive Surgical Joe, which hits a new 52 week high today. That was $384. And the stock is now lower. So another example. Why the reversal? Ah. Strong, strong earnings. I, I think it's nothing more than uh, longs working off positioning, a lot of short-termism that was in this stock recently. 
expecting earnings to maybe power the, the stock even further higher. It was up 45% in a year. Yeah, they're, they're selling out of that. I mean, there's nothing within this report that should trouble anyone. We're talking about the Da Vinci 5, uh, the Da Vinci 5 now being introduced. That's their next generation robot for surgical. Mm-hmm. $7.3 billion in cash. This is just a, a phenomenal healthcare company. Steph, what do you want to say about Boeing? So Calhoun, the CEO, is on the Hill. We do have this report in the Seattle Times that it was Boeing, not Spirit Aerosystems, that misinstalled, if you will, that the the door thing that blew off the Alaska, the MAX 9. You had, I thought, fairly critical comments yesterday from the United CEO, Scott Kirby, who's trying to be a bit diplomatic, but nonetheless, I mean, sort of got the gist of there's a lot of frustration among these CEOs in, the, in that industry about where Boeing is now and what it means for future deliveries. But there's nowhere else they're going to go. I mean, go there, there's, no, there's just nowhere the, else they're going to go. Unless they, they want to pay, unless they want to pay top dollar for Airbus, they're getting huge discounts from Boeing because of all of these issues. So you've got a duopoly, almost 13,000 planes in backlog from the two companies. Boeing has nine years worth of backlog. So the visibility, if they can get the execution right, which is a big if, well, I understand. <laughs> well, I know, but, but they have the backlog. So they got the, they have the stuff if they can actually deliver it, if they can produce it and deliver it safely. Obviously, that's the big problem. But the stock's down 17%. And I'm thinking, like, maybe they don't do $10 billion in 2025 free cash flow after all of this. But even if it's, like, 7 or 8, better than negative, which is what they've seen over the last several years. 7379 is very small. It's 2% of backlog. It's the 73710 series, which is 20% of backlog. So if they do not get that certified, that's your problem. No, but, but I that, think that, it's that's a, what I'm alluding to. But I think that's a lot what, is priced in. But that's what Kirby was alluding to. And when I spoke with Ed Bastion, you know, the other day or late last week, you know, yes, he he expressed his confidence in Boeing, but said we're not taking a a single 10 until we know that everything's cool. It still hasn't been certified by the FAA. And I think it's I think it's a lot of it is priced in down 17 percent. The biggest piece of this story is 737 Max, plain and simple. That's 85 percent of the backlog. That is a big piece. And we know that there's problems right now, but not with the eight. The 737-8, was, that was the problem a couple of years ago. They fixed it. That's, that's now their biggest plane, uh, and that's the biggest production growth profile for the company. Something goes wrong with 8, then the story goes, up, goes away. But I don't think that's going to happen. All right. Let's move on and get the headlines now from Silvana Hanau. Hi, Silvana. Hey, Scott. Ukraine suggested on Wednesday Russia failed to inform it that safe airspace was needed after a military aircraft was downed while carrying 65 Ukrainian POWs ahead of an exchange. Ukraine's intelligence service said it didn't have enough reliable information about who was on board. Earlier, Russia accused Ukraine of downing the plane and said nine Russians were also killed. Yemen's Houthi authorities ordered U.S. and British staff from the U.N. and humanitarian groups to leave the country within a month. The decision from the Iran-backed rebel group follows strikes by the U.S. and U.K. in response to its attacks on commercial ships in the Red Sea, including one on a U.S. flagship today. According to CENTCOM, three missiles were fired toward it, but no damage or injuries were reported. And Ford issued a recall for nearly 2 million Explorer SUVs over concerns pieces of the roof trim can fly off while driving. The recall covers Explorers from the 2011 to 2019 model years. U.S. regulators opened an investigation into the problem last January after receiving dozens of consumer complaints, Scott. 
All right, Silvana, thank you. Silvana Hanau coming up. The one sector that Bank of America thinks could be this year's coiled spring. That's why it's our call of the day, and we'll debate it next. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Welcome back. We're showing you the S&P 500 intraday because it has never traded higher than it is now at 4,900. We will continue to watch that. It's been a big day for mega cap tech in respect, carrying it uh, to that level. Microsoft above three trillion in market cap for the very first time ever as well. Looking at Meta and Amazon, Steph buying more of that today. Alphabet uh, is higher. And of course, NVIDIA has been on a tear up another near 4% today. Banks, well, they've been doing better too. Uh, the financial sector hitting a new 52-week high today. Savita Subramanian over at Bank of America says banks may be this year's coiled spring. Rob, you made the comment as we were going into break. Well, it's uncoiled a little bit because the stocks are up a lot in a reasonably short period of time. Indeed. Yeah, no, I, we've seen a huge price move uh, towards the end of the year, beginning of this year. But let's remember that earnings revisions continue to trend lower for this sector. Um, we think you have to be selective. We do have ownership in this sector. We own JPM, Wells Fargo, uh, CMA. Uh, th- there, there are opportunities in here. You just look at CMA, which I traded on this show as a final trade. It's up 25% in one month. I'd say it's uncoiled a little bit, and patience may be a virtue here. Steph, what do we think? The XLF is only up 10% in the past year. Uh, Morgan Stanley's down 4%. Mm-hmm. Bank of America's down 1%. Schwab's down 17%. But I don't think their numbers have come down to justify where the where the valuations are. I mean, the numbers have kind of been kind of sideways a bit, right? So the, the multiples are actually quite cheap. I mean, Morgan Stanley, I think if you think there's a capital markets recovery, which I do, I mean, the stock is trading at 14 times forward estimates. I understand the CEO needs to prove himself. He will over time. It's a great franchise. Bank of America, They all they keep doing is cutting costs and showing operating leverage, and that trades a one-times book, which I think is ridiculous. Schwab, on the other hand, really, really cheap. No one thinks NNA is ever going to come back, net new assets. It's going to come back, and the stock and the CEO is buying shares, and the stock is trading at a historical low valuation. So I think there are opportunities. I like financials for this year, uh, and I'm, I'm happy that they had a rebound from October lows, but I think there's a lot more that they can see this year. Carrie, you like Schwab. I do you like Schwab, and it's had a roller coaster ride recently. You know, it was acting very well, and then it came down. The earnings weren't great, but it's a longer-term story. We think in the next year they'll, they'll finish with a cash sorting where people move their money into higher-yielding um, deposits. And Ameritrade's 
the integration is done. I think it's, you know, it's going to be a good stock. It's a cheap stock. It'll move up with financials. And it doesn't have, in fact, the whole M&A underwriting risk, which I think is a problem for investment banks, because I don't think there's as much M&A going on at the public level. I think it's happening at the private level. Joe was kicking himself when he sold Morgan Stanley, so much so that he had to get it back. <laughs> Trading therapy with the judge. I liked that segment last yeah. week. Yeah, yeah, Money yeah. center banks, J.P. Morgan's clearly a core holding. Uh, yes, you I'm there. Goldman, Morgan Stanley, J.P. Morgan, and um, then Interactive as well. Correct. Um, yes, yes, I'm there in Morgan Stanley. I'm more excited about the potential for Goldman Sachs on a capital market recovery. Um, I also think within the financials, you could look at other areas like private equity. The insurance companies are on fire right now, performing incredibly well. And if you continue to see improvement in the capital markets, the asset managers will make a recovery also. By the way, is that the suit? Oh, no, 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 this is not the suit. This is, a cousin, this is a cousin to the, your famous Cousin suit. to the suit. A cousin to the oh, suit, I was yeah. like doing a double take there for a second. You have that thing locked away for a while. I'll bring back the suit just for you. Maybe on the rebalance. Oh, there you go. Okay. All right. You long-time viewers, you remember the suit. I know you do. All right, still ahead. The desk sets you up for more key earnings coming out this week. We're going to trade a lot of stocks ahead. But first, Mike Santoli joins us next with his midday word. Senior Markets commentator Mike Santoli joins us now. So, Michael's good to see you. I mean, how do you build a case for S&P 4900? Well, Netflix beats, PMIs beat, Microsoft goes to three trill. Yeah. So you get 4900 on the S&P. Good news is good news. Bullard maybe yesterday helped a bit too. Right. So that's a that's the formula. Uh, it's working right now. It's interesting that Netflix ends up being this little bit of a spark when, you know, as, as I was saying before, it's not really, um, it shouldn't have coattails on other businesses. It's just like, wow, we have a lot of these dominant digital businesses that really sort of control their domain, and we might as well buy all of them at this point. So it's looking a little bit chasey. I think maybe the market if at some point goes looking for something to worry about incrementally. We are in a very comfortable zone macro-wise. I don't think that the, uh, you know, the soft landing premise is going to be disturbed anytime soon, even by a number that looks like it's a little bit unfriendly because we have had this accumulation of evidence that it looks OK. So I think it's fine. It's more about short term tactics. You know, the average uh, strategist target for the end of the year is like under forty nine hundred. And we already surpassed it. The median is about 50 50 up three percent from here. It's good that people are cautious, but it's a little bit of a of a sense out there that uh, you're going to have to find other reasons why this is a good overbought condition and can continue higher. Tesla, you know, just given the landscape of where we are, doesn't seem today to have the importance that maybe in the past it has to where the market might no. go, especially NAS 100 stocks. It's no longer really where the energy is in, in terms of what is, you know, where animal spirits are flowing. The, the stock's dead money for three years. Okay, December of 2020, I think it was in this basic zone in, in terms of price. Yeah, it's kind of oscillated around, but I don't think the market needs it. Um, it's a little bit of an outlier within what we call the Magnificent Seven. Even market cap wise, it's kind of getting left in the dust, uh, certainly with its index uh, weightings, just because also, of course, Musk owns like 15 percent of it. So it doesn't really punch uh, that heavily in the index anymore. Yeah. Well, he wants 25, 15. You know. He does want that. Yeah. yeah. I'll see you on closing. Bell. All right. That's Mike Santoli. We have your earnings playbook coming up next. 
So we're going to do these earnings things, but we got this is like milestone Wednesday. Um, we got Meta now back above a trillion dollars in market cap. We want to show you the intraday chart there. Steph, don't pay attention to earmuffs. So you don't you don't have oh, to listen to this. She did great. In the yeah, stock. I know she did, but still. So Meta's back above a trillion. Microsoft is above three trillion, and the S&P 500 is above 4,900. So uh, that's the kind of day that this is shaping up to be. And we'll try and flash through those before we get out of here, too. But let, let's hit some of these other stocks. So Visa reports tomorrow after the bell. Carrie, why don't you take that first? Yeah, we're looking for the number to be up about 7% from last year. So better than most of the S&P, which is down for the quarter and most financials. I, it should be a good year. It's been a very good stock. I mean, the stock is up about 20% since the end of October and at an all-time high, but we think it's got more. Consumers are spending money. They're using credit cards, obviously. They are a master in their space. I mean, not literally, because not MasterCard, <laughs> but uh, they're, we think they're the dominant player. I know, Joe, you like MasterCard, but uh, we prefer Visa, and we think it'll continue. Okay. Both. Union Pacific, Stephanie Link, that's tomorrow before the bell. Uh, yeah, the stock really has lagged pretty much the sector and, and the markets, um, even when Jem Vina, the new CEO, has been announced, which is back in July. Anyway, he has a great operational track record. I think you're going to see good cost cuts, better price mix, and I think you're going to see volumes starting to improve. I and mean, look at the manufacturing numbers today, the PMI numbers, I and mean, we're starting to see a pickup on the manufacturing side that should help them. You want to take UNP also? Uh, yeah, it, it, a lot of the same similar story. They're optimizing schedules, delivering delivery times, focused on increasing volumes, and there might be some upside to earnings on lower fuel costs. Okay, Booz Allen. Carrie, uh, why don't you give me that quick? That's Friday before the bell. Yeah, uh, Booz Allen, again, it's a defense stock. It's a contractor. It does a lot of consulting uh, work around the world, and this is the type of environment which is good for Booz. All right, we'll step uh, away for a couple minutes. We'll come back. We'll do final trades on the other side. Halftime Report Podcast? What are you waiting for? Look for us in your favorite podcasting app. Follow the Halftime Podcast now. All right, closing bell, 3 o'clock Eastern Time. Boy, we got a show. Ed Yardeni is going to join us. Remember his note from a few days ago questioning whether there was too much exuberance developing. He didn't really say there was now. Just wondering if we're just getting started on that road. So we're going to talk to him. We'll debate the market road ahead with Ed Yardeni of Yardeni Research. We also have Bryn Talkington with us and Dan Ives ahead of Tesla earnings, too. So we're, uh, we're loaded up, and I hope you'll join me in, in a couple hours' time. Rob, final trade. Baba, still cheap since last week, and it's an underappreciated quality grower. Okay, Carrie. Uh, Blackstone, we think earnings this year will be up 30%. Private equity will do more realizations, good environment. Earnings are tomorrow, I think, right? Yep. Okay. Down. Joey T. Did you lean across and cheat and see my Apollo Global Management private equity <laughs> name, Apollo Global Management, breaking out? All right, P, you get some love. All right, Steph. I continue to like SLB. Phenomenal quarter, great free cash flow. Okay, S&P 500 right now, never been higher. 49.03 is what we'll call it. So we got some records to watch for, and I'll see you on Closing Bell. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. 
All opinions expressed by the Halftime Report participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Halftime Report participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Halftime Report Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Halftime Report Disclaimer. From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, the PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now.